When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. I'm asking you about uh, whether or not you think the government is right uh, when they say that they will walk away if they don't get a deal by October the 15th. And would we uh, would we actually in, would we realistically actually be uh, having a good outcome if that were the case? We'll be talking about that in just a few moments. I'll get to more of your tweets. First up, let's talk about it with uh, George Eustace, the Environment Secretary. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Now, you are uh, launching today a new communications campaign uh, to provide EU-based businesses with information they need to get ready to trade with the UK after the 31st of December. Um, How can you launch a campaign when you tell people what to do after the 31st when we don't know what the situation is going to be after the 31st of December? Well, there are certain things that we know uh, will be needed, uh, whether we get a further agreement or whether we don't. So, um, for instance... um, uh, businesses need to know uh, how the UK border will in future treat goods coming in. And we've set out our approach on things like agri-food, that there will be some administrative uh, checks and requirements starting in around April on uh, those sorts of products and with some physical checks starting from July. So businesses need to understand uh, what type of export health certificate they would need and how to get one. And the same is true on things like customs. Uh, whatever type of agreement uh, we have, uh, they know there will be a need for uh, some type of uh, export um, uh, you know, declaration around uh, customs as well. And they just need to understand uh, what will be needed, whether they are exporting to the UK or indeed importing goods from the UK uh, and abiding by the EU procedures. Um, there is some concern that obviously things have gone to a stalemate between Michel Barnier and Lord David Frost, our negotiator, and the eighth round of talk starts uh, tomorrow in London. But there's big issues, ongoing issues, about our fishing uh, rights, uh, fishing uh, uh, quarters, and also over EU state, I'm sorry, UK state aid after leaving the EU uh, transition period. Um, are these sticking points where the EU are just being totally nothing unreasonable and if they don't budge, we have no choice but to walk away? Or is there actually room for some sort of negotiation here? Do you think this is just this is kind of an end game now or do you think there is some way of resolving this? Well, I'm afraid to say that the differences at the moment do still remain quite fundamental. It's not just that um, we're in the final bit of tidying up at the end. Um, We've gone into this negotiation really saying 
uh, we're not going to ask for anything remarkable or special. Um, we're going to um, accept that the EU find it easier to do agreements that are similar to ones they've done before. And so the model we were following is the EU-Canada free trade agreement uh, that has close to zero tariffs on uh, the vast majority uh, of goods. Uh, and it also has, you know, administrative arrangements in place as well to reduce, you know, what's called the non-tariff barriers. And we thought that was a good mod model to follow. We accepted that it would mean uh, exporters to the EU would need to fill out paperwork, that there would be some checks at the border. Uh, we accepted all of that because we, we see that uh, if that's the price of becoming an independent country again, well, so be it. Um, but I think what's difficult is that the European Union, you know, seemed reluctant to engage uh, on a sort of discussion on a type of agreement that they were willing to do with Canada. And that's obviously quite problematic. And, you know, what we can't uh, have is a situation where we are still effectively bound, uh, you know, by, um, you know, EU laws, potentially, potentially uh, with the EU court having a role in that. And also where we leave the EU and don't have control of our fishing grounds. We just want a, an agreement a bit like Norway already has. We don't think that's a remarkable thing uh, to ask for. Um, except we do have the difficulty of Northern Ireland, don't we? And there's some concern that earlier, well, later this week, there's going to be the publication of the Internal Markets Bill, formalising trading rules within the UK, and that this, to all intents and purposes, rips up the withdrawal agreement signed by Boris Johnson with the EU last year, ahead of Brexit at the end of January, um, effectively allowing, I suppose, a special role, a special situation for Northern Ireland, where they come under the auspices of both UK law and EU law. Can you clarify what's happening? there will there or won't there need to be customs checks when uh, goods travel between northern ireland and the mainland of the uk um so look the, the first thing to say is we are absolutely uh, committed to the withdrawal agreement and you know even the northern ireland protocol you know although that uh, you know causes some issues for some in northern ireland uh, we're, we're committed to this we've been working on delivering them uh, some of these things are quite controversial, so we've already agreed that we will put in place uh, some checks on uh, agri-food goods, for instance, going through Belfast and the port of Larne as well. And we're working with um, the Northern Ireland uh, executive on how best to do that. Um, what we're really saying, though, is in that Northern Ireland protocol, it was always envisaged that there were still finer points of detail to resolve on a few issues like customs and export declarations and um, certain things around um, fishing, for instance. And um, there's a joint committee process that is uh, working through those. If at the end of that joint committee process, there remain a few loose ends, well, we just need to be able to provide some legal certainty and clarity. And that's what the UK Internal Market Bill will deliver. And we've also always said that we will give unfettered access for Northern Ireland businesses uh, to the GB uh, market. And the uh, bill that we're going to be publishing later this week will also do that. But again, of course, then you have to have customs checks often going between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, which creates problems there. Um, we know that the Irish Foreign Secretary is already very concerned about this. He's already said that this wouldn't be wise in his words. Well, he doesn't obviously know what we're proposing because it won't be published until um, you know later uh, this week. Um, um, and I think um, when he does see what's being proposed, probably, you know, reassure him. What we're really saying here is that um, if there are a few remaining loose ends uh, that have uh, not been possible to resolve through that joint committee process, and Michael Gove's making some good uh, progress on that uh, front, but if there are remaining loose ends, obviously, we have to be able to provide some legal certainty and clarity in that uh, okay. uh, in that space. And look, we've also as a UK government, got a very uh, special responsibility. 
uh, to the Belfast Agreement, to Northern Ireland, to the peace process. And so we have to make sure that the way uh, this Northern Ireland Protocol uh, is interpreted uh, allows that um, a peace process to continue and doesn't start to cause problems in Northern Ireland. And only we can do that. That's not something that obviously the European Union can do. OK. Um, last December, heading to the general election, all the adverts from the Tory campaign and everything that Boris Johnson said, he's got an oven-ready deal, ready to go. And now he's talking about no deal as a good outcome. Which of those isn't true? Well, the oven-ready deal that we had was the withdrawal agreement. Um, and um, as I said, that is an, uh, a deal. It is a, an oven-ready deal. Uh, we can leave on those terms and trade with the EU in the same way as uh, uh, as Australia does now. But separate to that, what we also said is that as well as the uh, deal that we already had uh, in the bank and that was uh, negotiated and that we're committed to, uh, we would also work to add to that with a new free trade agreement uh, and to actually have tariff-free trade and some other agreements as well uh, on certain matters similar to what Canada has. That's what we've been working on uh, ever since we were re-elected. And, you know, in the, in the usual way, the, the European Union have not been uh, particularly um, uh, quick at engaging on some of these things. And so it's proved harder than it needed to be, really. Okay. And what the Prime Minister has really said is we need to flush this out by the middle of October. Uh, there's not to be a further agreement. Businesses need to know that so they can plan accordingly. Well, I, I note that you're sitting underneath an exit sign. I wonder if any of that is a, is a, is a sign to us. <laughs> Let's talk about Extinction Rebellion over the weekend, preventing uh, printing presses from actually going out and delivering three million newspapers. There were long delays, particularly because they didn't like the views of the various newspapers uh, that were being uh, printed at those printing plants uh, because they felt they weren't taking uh, net zero and all of their other demands seriously enough. Uh, you're the environment. The Secretary, do you think Extinction Rebellion or any other group should be allowed to stop a free press in this country, whatever the cause and however important they think it is? Well, I think that um, you know the, the aggressive tactics that some in Extinction Rebellion uh, deploy on a range of things, you know, disrupting public transport, blocking the roads, um, and yes, you know, blocking newspapers from being printed. Um, it's not um, justified at all, in my view. Climate change uh, is a very important issue concern about our environment and last week I was talking to you about um, you know plastic carrier bags the, the public consciousness on environmental issues is at an all-time high people genuinely care about it and tens of millions of people care about it and act on it without feeling the need to uh, disrupt other people's uh, lives in this uh, aggressive way and I think I'm afraid that Extinction Rebellion therefore do you know undermine uh, in some ways their their own case because well they haven't you know, they got a case have they I mean they're they're an anarcho-Marxist group that want to go bypass democratic procedures to get their way that, that they don't have a case do you, have you are you going to have a word with the Home Secretary um, the Pretty Patel one of your colleagues and ask her to make sure that the police do actually take action so these people aren't able to take direct action and bully people in the way they've been doing. Well, Julia, I know uh, Priti Patel uh, very well, and I'm sure um, she doesn't need any encouragement on this. I've seen what she said, uh, you know, on the words are all very useful. But but, I mean, and the rest are useful. But but we still saw those printing plants seeing those delays, didn't we? I mean, I don't really see why it's beyond the wit of the police and certainly the Home Secretary Direct that that those printing plants are allowed to do, you know, go about their lawful business. Yes, and look, the, the police, um, you know, strike a difficult balance here. On the one hand, they um, do want to uh, enable peaceful uh, protests. It wasn't a peaceful protest. standing tradition, that's part of it. But at the same time, as you rightly point out, uh, where that uh, peaceful uh, protest ceases to be peaceful and is actually about frustrating uh, democratic processes, well, that's uh, a different okay. matter. 
And I know that, um, you know, Priti Patel will be looking very closely at these issues. OK, just finally on the virus. And again, it's extraordinary to be saying that. And finally, but it is a big concern. 3000 people across the UK tested positive on Sunday, 50 percent rise on Saturday. Yeah, we've got a lot more testing, but we're seeing also an increase in the proportion testing positive, largely people under 50s. How concerned are you that this is the first sign that we are entering a second wave? Well, we are concerned uh, about this. And, you know, Matt Hancock made that clear yesterday. Um, this is a you know, significant increase uh, over the weekend, particularly around um, younger people. And it uh, underlines the importance of people continuing to, uh, you know, practice social distancing, avoid gatherings in uh, large groups, wear face masks, uh, when out. Uh, you know, we want to uh, continue the progress we've made on getting back to life closer to normal. Um, but um, this is a, uh, a reminder of the, the difficulty of doing this and a reminder that the virus remains uh, a threat. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Right now, delighted to welcome my next guest, Jonathan Ashworth, Labour's Shadow Health Secretary. Good morning to you. Morning. Good morning. Um, unfortunately, we're not talking about happy news. Almost 3,000 people across the UK tested positive for coronavirus yesterday. It's a 50% rise on Saturday. It's the highest total uh, since near the end of May. Um, how concerned are you about the rise in infections? I mean, I'm deeply concerned. It's clearly a big increase. It's very worrying. It's a reminder that the virus hasn't gone away. We can't be complacent. So please follow the social distancing rules. Please follow the hygiene rules. Wear face masks. But it's only one day's data. So we have to see what's happening over the coming days as well. But the key thing is that we need the government to make sure that anybody who needs a test, if you've got symptoms, that you can get a test. And in recent days, we've had, well, a fiasco, really, of people being told to travel miles and miles uh, to get a test because they can't get a test in their local area. So I'm asking Matt Hancock to, what is going on? Get a grip of this testing and 
come to the House of Commons quickly and explain what you're going to do to fix it. Listen, we know there's been a massive ramping up of the testing, but yes, in in recent days and the last week, there has been an issue. I wonder if a lot of this is down to the fact that an awful lot of people are getting tested. I know about 20 people who've got tested in recent weeks. Either they've come back from holidays on the quarantine, kids were going back to school, uh, they were going back to work. We're hoping today is the big back to work day or back to workplace day. Um, And so a lot of people probably getting tested who, who would not normally get tested, in which case it may just be this one you know, particular period when we're getting extra demand. But that also has led to this increase in the number of infections. But given the huge increase in the, uh, the number of tests compared with where we were, say, back in May, uh, there may be nothing to worry about. If it's young people getting infected who often don't even show any symptoms at all or very, very mild symptoms, as long as they, this is the big proviso, don't come into contact with people who are elderly, who are shielding for health reasons, um, is there anything to worry about? Well, I think mean, if you drill down into the figures, it looks like a greater proportion of people are getting the infection rather than it just being a, a straight numerical increase, because you're quite right. We do have more testing capacity uh, than we did back in April, for example. Um, this does appear to be amongst younger people at the moment. But some of the evidence from other countries around the world is that it starts amongst younger people and then it begins to climb up the age bracket. However, this isn't, there isn't any inevitability about this. It's not necessarily like oh, you know, predicting the, the weather. Uh, to a certain extent, this is in our own hands. If we can ensure that everybody is doing the proper social distancing and the mask wearing and the hygiene, if we can make sure that everybody is doing that and following those rules, then we can get on top of this virus again. So there is a responsibility on all of us, a responsibility on government politicians to make sure people can access testing, responsibility for me as an opposition politician to, yes, push the government to go further, but to also encourage people to follow the social distancing rules. And there's a responsibility in all of us as members of society to do to, to not be complacent, to not take things for granted, and to do all the things which are very difficult. I appreciate they're frustrating and annoying and irritating, but to, we have to carry on doing that in order to get on top of this virus. Um- there, there is a, there is a lot of concern, particularly about universities returning. Uh, we know, I mean, the evidence for schools returning and the risk to to the pupils and indeed teachers is actually very, very minimal. And children actually may be safer at school than at home. Interestingly, in the latest research, but universities returning, we know the vast majority of the uh, uptick in infections is uh, people in their twenties, probably going out partying, not social distancing, uh, much easier for them, of course, uh, to uh, uh, to be out and about. Um, is that going to be a big issue? Is that something that we think we should be keeping a watch on? And do you think that, say, increased testing, say testing once a week of everyone at university or all the like, do you think that would be the answer? I mean, I think we do have to keep an eye on it. Absolutely. I mean, we need a, I mean, young people want to go to university, who want to go to university, want to get an education. And, you know, we can't deny them that opportunity, obviously. But there are universities now introducing regular testing. I'm, I'm here in Leicester. And it just so happens that the University of Leicester are rolling out a scheme to test all students and all staff on campus. They can do that at the University of Leicester because they're a well-established medical school and they've got the laboratories, they've got the the science-based research, so they've developed them themselves. I think they're looking at a saliva test, for example, and there are some other universities doing similar things across the country. So we do have to keep an eye on this because you're right, young people congregating, and you know, I remember what it was like as a student as well, so I know that I... <laughs> Is it a congregating, is that what we call it now? 
Yes, I was. I did a lot of congregating. That's definitely what I was doing. <laughs> um, so um, uh, we have to keep an eye on this, and I think I think expanding access to testing at universities is a really important uh, intervention that we and I, the government should be doing all they can to make sure universities put testing procedures in place. How concerned are you about, on the front page of the Observer yesterday, Covid could be endemic in deprived parts of the country. They said that even with the lockdown, we didn't see the infections being cut. And of course, uh, London, I mean, where I am right now, London saw obviously, you know, the the, the brunt of the the coronavirus uh, infections in the early weeks and the early months. Um, And I think perhaps maybe to a certain extent, people may have taken it more seriously because, you know, I know loads of people who have coronavirus, including myself. I know people who very tragically have died of coronavirus, so perhaps it's you take it more seriously. But uh, there is quite a lot of evidence that even during lockdown, the virus was still at, at pretty high levels. Bolton currently at ninety-eight cases per hundred thousand. Bradford sixty-three last week, fifty-seven in Blackburn with Darwin, fifty-four in Oldham, forty-seven in Salford. Uh, by contrast, if you look at say Milton Keynes, they've just got six six, and Kent it's five and three in Southampton. It's completely different in different parts of the country, and there seems to be this view that. It's in deprived areas, particularly in the north and the northwest of the country, but also particularly in areas with a high ethnic minority population. There may be some concerns about, again, multi-generational living and people not social distancing, not following the rules. How concerned are you about that? Well, I think what's pretty clear now is that COVID thrives on inequality and deprivation. And it, and, and those areas where there is dense inner city housing, multi-occupancy housing, combined with low-paid jobs, often zero-hours contracts, or, per- or perhaps low-paid jobs in um, our, our, our manufacturing base, which often these days tends to be food manufacturing. Um, you know, One of the big outbreaks we saw recently was in a sandwich man- uh, um, manufacturing factory yeah. down in, in Northampton. And these areas where social distancing is difficult, and a lot of people, if they don't go to work, will lose out on on pay. Uh, these are the areas where this virus has spread and it has been difficult to get it under control. Now, that shouldn't come to any surprise to those of us who follow epidemiology and health policy closely, because we always know that in areas of poverty, areas of low pay, areas of poor housing, that's where you tend to have worse health outcomes. So it's where we need to be putting more of our testing. It's why we need proper support for those who are asked to isolate uh, but it's difficult to isolate if your if your employer is not going to pay you anything, yep. or if you live in a multi occupation uh, a, a multi generational household with lots of other people in the house. So this is why these social uh, structural issues in society need to be dealt with. Okay. Otherwise, you won't get a grip. Won't get a grip of this. Uh, just finally, let's talk about Brexit. Um, Boris Johnson's issuing a statement today. Thirty-eight days to do a deal with the EU uh, post transition, or the uh, UK will walk away. And he says, "Look, no deal." would be a good outcome for the UK. I think we'd all rather have a deal if we can have a good deal. If we can't get one, a good outcome. Do you agree with the Prime Minister? I mean, it's not just that we'd all rather have a deal. He told us he had an oven-ready deal. You know, he put out pictures of his oven-ready deal in general election. That's what people voted for. And then Parliament voted for his uh, agreement with the, Nor- with the Northern Ireland Protocol in it. Now, now, apparently, he's ripping it all up. And, of course... Now, the economy has taken a huge hit. We Many people are anticipating huge job losses in the coming weeks and months as the furlough scheme comes to an end. It's probably why the furlough scheme should be expanded in certain certain sectors of the economy. Uh, to, to plunge the country into no deal 
in that context has huge economic repercussions. And I would have thought, given that we are facing a, uh, in a recession, I would have thought we should be doing all everything we can to agree a deal and so we can grow the economy and, can, and trade with, without friction in the future. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Uh, right now, let's talk about charities because one of the uh, actual uh, the victims of the coronavirus pandemic is has been actually people giving a lot less to charity. They're not out and about. They're not passing people doing a, a charitable uh, collections in the street. You know, those office collections, sponsorship and the like, the marathon. People simply aren't doing it. And charities have really lost out as people are being concerned about being furloughed, losing their jobs and just really, well, worrying about themselves and their families rather than charities. But this week is Remember a Charity Week. It's an annual event uh, to raise awareness uh, about uh, giving to charity, in particular to spark conversations between friends and colleagues and family about leaving a legacy gift in your will to your favourite charity. Uh, So to uh, coincide uh, with this, a consortium of almost 200 registered charities are revealing that 100 Brits are leaving a dying wish donation to charity every single day. Day. Uh, well, let's talk about all of this with Len Goodman, former Strictly head judge, of course, and a long-time patron of, of Remember a Charity Week. Good morning to you, Len. Good morning to you. Good Julia. morning. It is one of the really sad legacies of this uh, pandemic and the lockdown is, is fewer and fewer people giving to charity. Loads of fantastic charitable efforts for the NHS. Uh, and we, of course, we remember some of those very, very vividly um, during the lockdown really gave us sort of quite sort of, you know, sort of a little bit of a pulling at the heartstrings. But it did mean that there was less money going to a lot of other charities. Um, but this is a really important week when it comes to charitable giving, isn't it? Well, you know, the thing is that Remember a Charity is all about leaving some money in your will. Now, obviously, you've got to look after your family and your friends and so on. However, if there's a charity that's close to your heart and, and, and you feel that you can, it doesn't matter how small it is, just leaving a little bit of money in your will is very, very rewarding. Also, you know, a lot of people haven't done a will. I have a friend who back near Christmas uh, didn't leave a will and the problems it caused. So I, you know, do a will, which is really quite a simple thing. And if, if you've covered your friends and family, then leave a little bit to charity. I think it's a, it's a marvelous thing to do. And when you think that six out of 10 lifeboats are funded by Remember a Charity, a third of cancer research is funded by Remember a Charity, money left in your will. I think it's a very rewarding thing to do. Absolutely. And and again, what's interesting is, is a lot of the charities um, do actually offer a, a service to help you make a will. Um, and there's no obligation on you to give a, a donation to that charity. But I think it would be rather b- bad form not to at that point. But these are, they offer the services. They'll give you a template of, of, a, of a will. So you can do the will really easy. You don't have to pay thousands to a lawyer. Most of us don't have that complicated uh, a will. We want to leave, you know, make sure we leave money to our kids uh, and then maybe a couple, you know, things to a godchild or, 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 or a cousin or something. Really straightforward stuff. But at the same time, just writing in a lump sum or a percentage to a charity really easy you can do it you know do it in an hour and then make sure your money is doing some good after you die well uh, that's right and you know when i got asked originally to be a part of this i hadn't left anything in my will to a charity uh yeah mainly because i'd never given it a thought yeah 
And, you know, once they asked me to do it, I thought, well, I'm going to be a bit of a fraud if, if I, I do this and I've left nothing myself. So there's a few charities that are close to my heart that I've left a bit of money to. And, and I feel good about it. And I feel good about myself. Yeah. But, you know, I haven't just done some charitable deed that everyone can see. This is just a nice thing to do. Lovely. Absolutely. Remember a charity we all this week. Just have a chat with your friends and family. If you've got a will, if you've not got a will, lots of us don't. It's not so much. So well, actually, genuinely, one of the things my husband and I have been going through uh, during the lockdown. And lots of people have been sorting out their finances, sorting out, you know, the cupboards and the drawers, going through the paperwork. Ideal time to do it. Really easy to do. Just make sure you, uh, you leave some money to a really good cause and know you're doing the right thing, uh, which is wonderful. Can I ask you, though, before I let you go, Len, about uh, this season of Strictly? I know you you left a long time ago now it feels um, but it's really interesting to try and watch BBC pulling Strictly together um, at a time of social distancing everyone going into bubbles people testing positive for the virus all very complicated did you think you'd have managed it uh, this year round well who knows I'm sure the BBC are going to make sure as much as they can that everyone is safe and sound I I called up um Anton Dubeck the other day, and they're in lockdown um, working out the group dances and so on. Yeah. And he said, uh, you couldn't feel safer. You know, your, 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 your temperature's checked, your, your, your check for the coronavirus. Uh, and he said it, that, that the way they're doing it is, is excellent. So, yeah, I'd be. I think what they're going to do with the judges is uh, maybe on their desk there's going to be one of those plastic screens between the judges so that you know that works i don't think there's going to be an audience Sh- so. shirley will probably be delighted with that she won't be knocked off her chair all the time <laughs> well unfortunately bruno um is living in la oh, and right. he can't he can't make it that's what i understand oh. he's going to be a part of the show in some way maybe via zoom or or some link but i don't think you know, at the moment, he can't fly yep. from the States into Britain and, and vice versa. So, um, yeah. It's I going think... to be very, very different, this is. Well, you know what? We may need you back, Len. <laughs> well, I don't suppose they would ask me, but uh, obviously if, if if they said, Len, we're in deep trouble, Bruno's not coming, blah, 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 would you be a prepared? Well, yeah, and of course I would. Good I man. I help the BBC out. He, he'd step up. Did, yeah. Love it. Glenn, absolutely. Love, I'd have you back quite happily. Len Goodman, always lovely to talk to you. Former Strictly Come Dancing head judge, of course, and here to talk about a Remember a Charity. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.